I'm John Miglosh for the WDMA. We're going to be talking about customers today and uh, also how to get better response on your direct mail letters. That's a good and a good a good article on that. Okay, so let's get over to that. First, does anyone know what customer centricity is? Okay, so this was a this is a cartoon that I had to I had to work a little bit to to, to understand. What's going on is that they're having a customer service. This is a customer service sign. They're having a customer service meeting, and uh, they're having this meeting back here, and he's asking them what customer centricity is, or customer centric would be easier, but let's always make the word sound more, more complicated than it is. Okay, and here's a customer at the customer service desk who looks like she's ringing the bell although they would hear that so i doubt if she's rung it yet but she's getting frustrated she's got this package that she wants to return um i should have <laughs> i probably should have also plugged in the customer returns article that i ran across this morning but i didn't think to connect the two anyway she's getting really upset she's got a frown on her face and they're meanwhile they're not talking to her they're having a meeting about about how they need to serve the customer sounds about right right sounds like consulting okay and now I made it big so you could see the cartoon so this is by John Stammel uh, and the company name is Umiji Umiji something like that O-O-M-I-G O-O-M-I-J-I dot com Umiji dot com okay and uh, he starts out that Wharton last week, Wharton, the, the newsletter from Wharton, talked about a book, The Customer Base Audit, uh, by three professors. And they said that an audit is the first step on the journey to customer centricity. Uh, it's a good question. Audit, audit of what? Um, this obviously, you know, you should fix that. Um, but uh, even Google admits that tracking initial contact with a, with a customer uh, even dropping a first-party cookie on someone only shows you the really the interactions with your website. It doesn't really show you what the customer's thinking, right? Um, and so this customer base audit book says you need a, an audit, but John says the glossy report um, often ends up in a drawer or computer folder, which is always, which is almost always the case, right? I mean, I've shared a lot of stories with you about different customer reviews and audits that I've done. And sometimes they make major effect and sometimes they don't do any of it. I prefer to work with customers who are going to try what I suggest. <laughs> it usually works. The expensive part, people think I'm an expensive consultant, but of course the expensive part isn't the consulting. It's when the consultant is wrong a wrong consultant can cost you millions right not in the consulting fees you know that might be you know 20 grand or something the wrong consultant though can tell you to mail this when you should be mailing that or to tell you to do digital when you should be keeping your catalog going so find a good consultant and pay him uh, but anyway so uh, what if you could initiate a customer audit by asking a set of questions and then appending every response to each customer's database file? I'm in a book 
a book club, a marketing book club every Thursday with with David and Ken and a bunch of other people. That's how I met um, David Foley and a bunch of good people. And um, and this week or this past week, David said, David Bear said, uh, can you answer any can you give an answer without mentioning Cabela's? <laughs> now, the work I did for Cabela's was ages ago, ages and ages. But the, one of the reasons I bring it up is because uh, one of the few clients I ever had was Dick Cabela. I mean, one of the few that wanted to know something about what we were doing. He wanted to understand the process. And most of my clients, oh, 90% at least, didn't care. They didn't really want to know, and much as I tried, you know, at the end, I was making videos and explaining every model and explaining why the variables mattered and which variables mattered and all this sort of thing and how we should test it, and they didn't really want to know. Um, but, but Dick did ask, you know, he said that they had done customer survey work with their customers about customer satisfaction, and could we model with those variables? And I said, well... What's the, you know, what level of response rate did you get from your customers when you asked them these questions? And he said about 5%. And I said, well, here's the problem. You know, let's say uh, the question is, I love Cabela's. Do you love or do you hate Cabela's? That's, let, let's just make that the only question, <laughs> okay? <laughs> we'll just divide everybody into two camps. Do you love or do you hate Cabela's? Okay, now, uh and let's say, you know, 75% love Cabela's and 25% hate Cabela's for, for who's. But if only 5% respond, basically you have almost no, uh, and, you know, we can probably skip, we, we don't probably have to, you know, go through this audit process. We can probably just, you know, you, you might want to call a few uh, that hate Cabela's. They might be because they own a sporting goods store and Cabela's is putting them out of business or, you know, maybe they maybe they didn't catch any fish with the one lure they ever bought. You know, there's, there were a lot of one lure buyers in the Cabela's database, you know, uh, or maybe they hated that we mailed them so many hunting catalogs when they were fishermen. That was their number one complaint, in fact. But the problem is, is that you just can't model with a 5% populated field. It just doesn't work. And 5% is pretty good response rate, right? 5%. Right, absolutely. So, uh, you know, the North American Fishing Club asked me if I could I, uh, if I could model the kind of fish people wanted to fish for. And I thought about it for a minute. You know, we were going to do a model by zip code. We were going to identify. Because when I joined the, the North American Fishing Club, they sent me a, a book. I actually joined it. And uh, they sent me a free book on walleye fishing, and I didn't remember getting it. Uh, after you know, I, when I first, sometimes when I first encounter a, a prospective client, I'll order from them and see what happens or whatever. And uh, I, I said, I don't remember getting a book from you. They said, Well, we send a book to every new member. I said, Well, what'd you send me? They said, Walleye book. You know, Wisconsin's famous for walleyes. Everybody in Wisconsin fishes for walleyes. Uh, in fact, you know, if we could figure out a model, well, for, I said, well, wait a minute. I hate fishing for walleyes. I drove all the way up to Canada, like eight, ten hour drive up there into Canada. Maybe it's longer than that. 
And uh, we caught a lot of walleyes, and they taste really great. But they're like pulling in a pile of seaweed, and they don't fight. They come right to the boat, and they just lay there. Uh, and they lay on the bottom. They're like the laziest fish in the world. And uh, you got to drag the bait as, as slow as you possibly can along the bottom or barely move it when you jig it. You know, the boat, just the boat moving will do more than, than you're supposed to. So it's really boring to fish, and it's really boring once you catch a fish. But good eating. And they said, well, could you build a model, you know, in, instead of that? And I said, well, let's see. And I thought, my neighbor on the east like to go to Costa Rica and fish in the Pacific Ocean and, and deep sea fish. And my my neighbor to the to the west liked to go to Canada. That's who I went to Canada with. But he also went to Lake Erie and drove over there and fished for walleyes. He loved walleye fishing. And I like to fish off the pier uh, for bluegills and bass and perch. And... Um, but some, but my very favorite fishing was uh, to go down on West West Florida and catch snook off the dock, and that was really a riot. So I said, hmm, I don't know that you can pull this off. <laughs> and so rather than charge them a lot of money for modeling, I just said, why don't you put a little note on the card? You know, what's your favorite fish when they when they sign up? You know, or mail, mail everybody a postcard and say, what's your favorite fish to fish for? Uh, you know, walleye, bass, other, whatever. And that's what they did. So, but still, you don't get a 100% response. That's the problem with this. And so, um, yes, you can segment, but and but that doesn't mean you'll always send the right message to the right person. Amazon, back in the early days, uh, did a customer survey. I remember filling it out uh, because they would send me offers on all kinds of goofy books. And uh, so I thought, well, maybe this will help. Maybe I can fill it out. And uh, I thought, what kind of books do I buy from Amazon? Well, I bought hunting books, right? They didn't have hunting. They must have thought that was immoral or something. Uh, but they had outdoor books. So I thought, well, that's close as I can get. I'll click outdoor. And I thought, and I buy a lot of Christian books from, from Amazon. <laughs> and uh, so they didn't have Christian. It was too too divisive, I guess, and they just had religious or spiritual, I think, spiritual. And so within a few months, all of a sudden, I'm getting recommendations for Buddhist, uh, vegan um, meditation books, <laughs> which wasn't what I was looking for. You know, so the problem also is, you know, you don't usually ask the right questions. That's a big problem. And so... The workability on this is very, very challenging. Um, but John's right. You you don't get enough information. Um, you know, in the book, the customer base audit, they say we're not interested in demographic profile. We're only interested in actual buying behavior. And the problem is most of your customers have only bought once. They didn't buy lately and they didn't spend much. So you do have to supplement that with, uh, with demographics and with... Uh, and if you can, if you can get their interests, needs, and perceptions, sometimes that comes from the, the lead source. You know, you try to use everything you can, not just past purchase behavior, you, you know, as much as that as you can. That's the key to the whole thing. That's the key to winning is figuring out variables that matter. Um, and so I'm a big advocate for ca calling customers. I've told many stories about that. 
you know, that um, the CEO should call and visit their best customers regularly, right? Um, uh, John apparently was working on a presidential campaign and there was a low percentage of second donations. And so they did some survey work and it said they and people said you gave uh, they said, why didn't you give again? And people said, because you keep sending emails asking for money and never ask for my opinion. You know, I remember a charity that just acknowledged you gave twenty five dollars. Could you give twenty five again? You know, just to acknowledge that I gave again was a was a big deal for me and, 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 and a welcome thing. They said, thank you for giving that amount. Right. Well, that presidential campaign said that's an awful lot of work to, to find out all this stuff. That's why you use sample sets mostly in your surveys, because you're not going to get 100 percent coverage anyway. And so it's very difficult to segment anyway. Right. Although John seems to have that figured out with this OMG. Uh, so let's you know, maybe he does. I'd like to hear more about it um, to make all your customer insights actionable. But, you know, basically we learn by testing. And that's the only, there's no shortcuts, right? Ritson on differentiation. And this is not by, by, by Mark Ritson. It's by Josh Stevenson. And it was a little bit complicated, but he, he said that Mark in a presentation said that differentiation doesn't need to be in competition with distinctiveness. And I would say, to sum this all up, I, I boiled it all down by saying you can distinctively emphasize your difference, okay? Distinctive is more about standing out in your message, according to Mark, and differentiation is about what the message highlights. So uh, in, in David Ogilvy's book, uh, Confessions of an Ad Man, which is another good one that I think might be available at, at, uh, at uh, scientificadvertising.com. I'm pretty sure it is. Um, I, I listened to that audio book. I wore it out, uh, David Ogilvy's book. Um, and and Claude Hopkins' book is also available on audiobook at, at that same website. I'll put the link in the description. But anyway, David Ogilvy talks about, um, about creating the Shell Answer Man. And one of the things that the Shell Answer Man had to say was uh, that, car, that Shell cleans your car while you cleans your engine while you drive. And it had special detergents in it, I think, something like that. Well, in the book, David admits that every other <laughs> gasoline brand had the same detergents in it. But nobody bothered to say that they had detergents in it, you know, the, the, to clean the, the fuel injectors. And so Shell took credit for it. And Shell pounded on it, pounded, 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 pounded. And over time, the consumer's perception was that Shell gas was better for cleaning out your engine. That it actually did something beneficial besides just keeping the car running, and it really didn't do anything different, right? But it, but that was a differentiating feature, and the Shell Answer Man gave the message distinctively because the Shell Answer Man looked like a scientist, and so he uh, figured that out. So uh, finding something unique is almost impossible, and when you do, it's repli it's and it's replicable in one way or the other uh, relatively quickly. It's really hard to not to to actually be distinctive or be different um jack trout uh and you know marketing warfare is my favorite of his books but i think it's the only one i read uh he talks about creating a category where you're unique um but mark says we've gone uh we've gone 
we've tried to be too distinctive sometimes at the expense of saying why we're different. And sometimes we try to be different without saying it in a distinctive way. And so it's a good article. Uh, it's available at WDMA.org over in the show notes. But let's get on to Craig Huey. Direct mail power. P.S. Don't let this happen to you. Okay. Uh, the secret to getting your mail letter read is in the end, not the beginning. That when you get a business letter, I hardly ever get business letters anymore. You know, I mostly get postcards or I get uh, bills. Um, I don't get, I just don't get many mailers that are a letter anymore. Isn't that amazing? It's kind of interesting. Or at home either, uh, what I see. But uh, so Craig's, this may be anachronistic. Craig says people look to see who signed the letter. I mean, people want to eliminate every every stitch of uh, of of personality from from advertising and from a mailing piece. Um, but if you have a PS, people will read it first. And I've always included PSs when I do business letters. Um, it's the most read part of your entire letter, and it's. Uh, Skipping the P.S. is like taking the punch out of a joke. It's especially good for for fundraising. And I know Craig has done a lot of fundraising, political and nonprofit. Uh, Remember the surprising financial forecast I mentioned on page two? Or don't make the number one mistake I told you about in this letter. Makes them go back into the letter to find out the answer. Emphasize the key theme of your letter. Include a call to action. Okay. Phone number or... URL or QR, leave the QR, don't say that last word or else you have a registered trademark against you. Okay, so here's some PSs, as you saw on page five, even Fed chairman fears that we will see rising inflation, it's probably from like this year, (laughs) oops, somebody's calling me, and it's my sister who is... A supporter of the WDMA, but we're going to get back to, we're going to decline her. Uh, she should know better. She should be watching. <laughs> so anyway, put an 800 number in there and get a response. And so uh, those are good words, and it does work in email, I think. Although I don't think people are as likely to scroll down and see the bottom of an email first. The headline, I think, is... The subject line is crucially important in an email. So that's enough for today. Have a great day. Re, re, repost. That's what it is. Repost in LinkedIn. And, uh, and your friends will know you're smart. Bye-bye.